0: Welcome to the Catalyst Church Podcast. We're here up in Humboldt County, California. We're glad you're with us. We hope that you're blessed and that you find peace and grace in the Word of God today. So Mark 14, 1 to 11. It says, In only two days, the eight-day festival of Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread would begin. The high priests and religious scholars were looking for a way they could seize Jesus by stealth and kill him. They agreed that it should not be done during Passover week. We don't want the crowds up in arms, they said. Jesus was at Bethany, a guest of Simon the leper, While he was eating dinner, a woman came up carrying a bottle of very expensive perfume. She opened the bottle. She poured it on his head. Some of the guests became furious among themselves. That's criminal, a sheer waste. This perfume could have been sold for well over a year's wages and handed out to the poor. They swelled up in anger, nearly bursting with indignation over her. But Jesus said, Let her alone. Why are you giving her a hard time? She has just done something wonderfully significant for me. You will have the poor with you every day for the rest of your lives. Whenever you feel like it, you can do something for them. Not so with me. She did what she could when she could. She pre-anointed my body for burial. And you can be sure that wherever in the whole world the message is preached... What she just did is going to be talked about admirably. Judas Iscariot, one of the 12, went to the cable of high priests, determined to betray him. They couldn't believe their ears and promised to pay him well. He started looking for just the right moment to hand him over. Uh, About six months before I met Jason, like, I was like 19, almost 20 years old. I went on a date with this guy. He was an elementary school teacher, and his name was Joe. And I felt very grown up for going on a date with like somebody who was like 23 and established kind of an, an adult. <laughs> he took me out to Italian food. We hit it off really easily, um, and it seemed like a really good fit. We were going to go on another date. And I found out when I was hanging out with him that, uh, that he loved country music and he loved sports. And for me, i I hated country music. I'm sorry, y'all, I just do. Uh, and <laughs> nothing's changed there. and uh, and I was not into sports whatsoever. Like i I swam and I did water polo, but like land activity was really challenging for me. And I also only listened to punk rock music at the time. And I skateboarded everywhere. So we were like, not a very good fit in those sorts of ways. But because I like, thought, well, this guy, you know, he, he's he's going to take me on another date, and, and I feel like I'm still in high school, but I'm, like, almost 20, so maybe I should consider dating an adult. Uh, I started listening to country music, and I started reading the sports section of the newspaper every day, which was, like, the worst thing ever. It made no sense to me whatsoever, <laughs> but I wanted to, like fit in with this guy. He was like 23. He was like so grown up. And, uh, and so I started doing those things and I wasn't like, I, I was willing to change who I was because I wanted to fit in so desperately. And I wasn't clear on my identity before at this point, I, I wasn't clear on who I was in Christ before this moment. Um, I was in a season where I was willing to compromise who I was simply to belong and I, I wanted to be seen and i wanted to be accepted and i wanted to seem like a person of, of value instead of just a, a high schooler at that point um and this was not junior high you guys i was in high school or i was, I was in college i was like you know I, I should have been really clear on who i was at this point and maybe this seems like a benign example in many ways about what compromise might look like there was definitely the same time of my life, that same kind of season around that time when I was trying to fit in by going to parties and drinking too much and making out with too many boys and gossiping a lot uh, to feel like I could fit in or belong in some way. And I grew up in a Christian home. I grew up with a Christian family with Christian parents who loved me fully and completely I memorized all the verses that I needed to memorize to get all the little badges on whatever it is that I was working towards. And, and, and I knew all the answers to all the Sunday school teachers' questions. I knew how to behave correctly so I could belong to the Christians around me. And I knew about Jesus and even knew how to follow Jesus. I knew about Jesus enough to know how to follow Jesus. I knew about Jesus I just didn't know about me and I didn't know who I was in Jesus I only knew about him and everything that I knew about him kind of just stayed in my head it stayed right up here which I think was okay for the season I was in it was where I was at I don't think God was like disappointed in me I think that I, what I didn't know is that I didn't realize there was so much more and it's like going to Disneyland and just staying at the gift shop. If you guys go to Disneyland, if you go to the gift shop, the gift shop is awesome. You guys, there's like. Everything you would ever need to know about all things Disney and like the vision behind Disneyland and the creator of Disneyland and, and information on how they developed everything that has to do with Disney and, and food and suckers and all sorts of things are like in the gift shop. They've got monitors with all the movies happening in the gift shop. It is awesome in there. And you can learn everything you need to know about Disneyland without ever stepping out of the gift shop. There's awesome stuff there. But if you just stay in the gift shop, you'll never realize that there is way, way more to Disneyland than the gift shop. And to be satisfied in the gift shop means to miss out on life. The story we just read about in Mark's gospel is of a disciple who didn't just know about Jesus. She knew Jesus who she was because she knew how jesus knew her she understood her identity as a beloved disciple she understood who she was and her confidence in god's approval of her made it so nothing else mattered she wasn't concerned about those closer disciples who were in that room and enjoying that dinner party. She wasn't concerned with how they saw her. She wasn't held back by fear of being misunderstood or judged by her delight in Christ because she was confident in her identity and she was, that confidence guided her actions. It guided how she behaved everywhere she went. And the reason I believe this woman was a disciple of Jesus was because he had many disciples. He didn't just have the 12 that we usually think about. In Luke's gospel, we read of 72 disciples. We know that women were the main underwriters of his ministry. They were the ones that supported his ministry, who who funded his ministry, who gave to his ministry. We know men and women followed Jesus. They saw Jesus as their teacher. They learned about God through Jesus. They knew that there was something different about Jesus. But not every disciple understood who they were because of Jesus. They were stoked about the gift shop. They never knew that there was an amazing theme park just outside the gift shop if they just were brave enough to venture outside for a minute. So they listened to his teachings, and while most of them were probably like, wow, this guy is amazing, these incredibly mind-blowing sermons, and I'm learning so much, and, and, and I, I just can't believe I've never looked at the scriptures so deeply before. What an incredible opportunity this is. I think that they were amazed by Jesus, absolutely. It made them feel good. It made them think deeply. But even his 12 most closest disciples, never seemed to get it throughout the gospel of mark it seemed like they were just fine with the gift shop but jesus was clear about where true discipleship would take them if they should continue to follow him he said it over and over again he said it in i think it was mark nine you're welcome to turn there if you want is it mark nine maybe maybe Oh, right before Mark 9, in in Mark 8, he talks about the way of the cross. And so he's like, he has this crowd with him. The crowd is oftentimes considered his disciples. And the crowd of him, along with his disciples, said, he says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, this is verse 34, and take up their cross and follow me. Man, that is what Jesus was saying. This is what discipleship looks like. It means that we have to take up our cross. We have to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. And I believe that the woman that we read about in today's reading, she was probably there. She heard him say. She heard Jesus' invitation to discipleship. She knew what the end of a cross represented. She understood that death always came at the end of a cross. I'm sure she had seen the countless bodies that lined the streets running into the cities where insurrectionists and criminals' bodies hung with their death on the cross. She knew what a cross represented. No one would want to enter this calling lightly. For Jesus to say this, that's a a huge calling. It's a huge decision to make about discipleship. She may have even overheard Jesus say what Stacy was saying about how how three times he spoke about his death on his way to Jerusalem, saying, this is what to expect. This is what's going to happen to me. And he's talking to his 12 disciples, but that the rest of those disciples were nearby the entire time. I wonder if maybe she heard it because maybe that's why she felt compelled to anoint his body for burial, because she was paying attention She was somebody who was all in, who understood the cost of discipleship, and went from knowing about Jesus to knowing who she was because of Jesus. And this truth determined how she would respond to everything for the rest of her life. There is a very real freedom that comes when you are focused on Jesus. When you are like have that single-minded perspective that you are loved by Jesus and that when you receive that love, when you accept that love, knowing it's not because you deserve it or because somehow you earned it because you were so perfect in every way, but because Jesus believes you are worthy of it, your perspective on yourself and your purpose in this life begins to shift. Everything shifts when you begin to see how fully loved you are by God. And no longer are you focused on other people, how they see you, or making sure you present perfectly. No longer are you worried about being misunderstood or making sure that people see you in a specific light. No longer do you need to like country music or the sports section of a paper or what kind of car you drive or how you look or how you behave. It's not about those external things that the world seems to see us through. When Jesus is your primary focus, when Jesus is your primary identity, everything else that brings you meaning becomes secondary. It doesn't be go away. It's not that they aren't important. They just become secondary. How people see you fades into a bit more into the background when you become single-minded towards Christ and his love for you. But that doesn't mean you get a pass on being a jerk. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I think sometimes that we, you know, us in the church, we're really good at talking about Christ's love for us. But then we aren't really recognizing how that love actually compels us to love other people. Christ's love, the love for Christ compels us to love other people. And sometimes, sometimes that means when we come to worship, when we come and bring our praise to God, We actually have to leave it at the altar like Jesus says for us to do, to make things right with someone we've harmed or someone we've offended or someone we've hurt by seeking their forgiveness. Being a disciple is not just an internal transformation. It is an external action of justice. Throughout the entire Old Testament and New Testament, Christ and God about what justice looks like, that internal transformation coming out into the world. Discipleship looks like taking up your cross because it will cause you to act in a way where you advocate for the marginalized, where you speak against injustices, and where you stand on the behalf of the poor, which may lead to its own form of crucifixion. Discipleship According to this last week of Jesus' life, he has like three days left, two days left. This last week of Jesus' life, it looks like confronting violent political powers, and it looks like speaking against unjust religious authorities. It looks like not only eating and celebrating, like Jesus is at this meal with these people he loves and enjoying food together, because that's part of what discipleship looks like as well, but it also looks like anointing and worshiping and advocating for uninvited guests and uninvited peoples. Jesus said that to follow him was worth it, and then invites us into knowing the truth of who we are and then to act upon that truth for the good news gospel to go forth. And if the good news of Jesus isn't good news for the most marginalized and the most oppressed, it is not good news for anyone. This passage begs the question, what good news are we actually living out as disciples of Christ in the world? The radical thing about this passage that I saw is how this nameless woman became the first Christian. She was the first person to get it. To understand not just about Jesus or to know about Jesus, but to understand and know Jesus. She surrendered her identity. She surrendered other people's perspectives of her to Jesus. She left the gift shop. She boldly walked into freedom because there's something so great that she experienced in that moment and from that moment forward. She experienced something greater than what a dowry could bring or a husband or a family or or, or success or influence or prestige. She knew who she was and that determined how she would respond to everything for the rest of her life. And I wonder, because Jesus says, your story will continue forth. Every time the gospel is preached, people will remember your story. I wonder how her story influenced those disciples in that room. I wonder if her bold worship became a witness and a testimony to what their hearts longed for, but they were too afraid to step into. I wonder if Peter thought about her when he said he didn't know Jesus. I wonder if James, the brother of John, thought about her bold action when he was being tortured before being murdered for his faith in Christ. Did her witness inspire him to leave the gift shop because he could finally see there was so much more to Jesus than simply being just a good teacher? So as we go into our time of worship and as her story continues forth in our lives, wherever the gospel is preached, her story is our story in many regards. I want to ask us to boldly leave that gift shop, to carry forth the good news of Jesus into the most difficult of places. May we give our hopes and dreams and expectations to Jesus. May you boldly step into the truth of your belovedness not because of how good you are or how perfect you are or how wonderfully you behave, but because of how good and perfect Jesus is. May your belovedness determine how you respond in this life where your worship and praise of God is one that is without fear or without abandon on coming across as too radical or too extreme from others' perspectives. May you hold nothing back and live fully into the truth that you are loved. And may you know that that truth is not just for you. It is ones that we are meant to bring out into the world. We are meant to bring others into the truth of their belovedness as well. Jesus, we pray a blessing over this time of worship. We pray a blessing over over this communion meal that we will take together, that we will receive we pray a blessing over the songs that we will sing and the, the ways that we give. And God, may we be people that recognize the abundance that you have for us in this world. May our cups overflow. May we worship in ways that are kind of annoying to ourselves. Worship in ways that are, are that kind of scare us, maybe. Because it's in those sorts of fear places, that you give us the strength to boldly step out of what we've always known, to know that there's something greater that we have never known. No matter where we're at in our relationship with you, Lord, there is more. And we seek that, and we trust that. May we seek you with all of our souls, all of our hearts, all of our mind, all of our strength. We love you. We thank you for this church and for your love for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.